Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here with us this morning. I want to welcome you to worship this morning at Union Baptist Church. We're going to do a scripture reading today out of Psalm 145. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there or on your cell phone or your whatever electronic device you use will be Psalm 145. And uh, we'll take a look at what, uh, what David has to say about the Lord there. If you're relatively new to Union and, you, and we don't have your information, I would uh, encourage you to fill out a Connect card. You can find one with one of the greeters or out there on the table, and it gives us an opportunity to get your name, phone number, and email address, and you can check off what's the best way to contact you. Uh, but that's also good for folks that have been coming for a while, uh, but just we, we don't have records for because we'd like to send things out every once in a while. So if you're not certain that we have your contact information and you would be uh, kind enough to grab one of those, please do so, uh, even if you've been here several times. That way we can we have a way to contact you. So as we look at Psalm 145, I just want to point out a couple of verses, and I'm probably going to miss something, but I want to just kind of look at a couple of things here before we read through this, this these verses here. It's a psalm about God, and here we, we exist to glorify God. Uh, that's what we're here for, and we want to make disciples uh, who, are, who are conformed into the image of Christ, and so we need to know who this God is that we worship. And so there are some things, some statements made here that David uses, like verse 3, where he says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. We'll come back and read through this, but when we think about God, the Bible tells us that he's great. Uh, it tells us in verse 18 that the Lord is gracious and merciful. It says in verse 9 that he's good. Then we get over here toward the end, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. The Lord preserves, in verse 20, all who love him. These are snapshots. There in verse 13 it says the Lord is faithful. So these are the kinds of things that I want to draw your mind to as we read through this, this psalm and, and have you meditate and notice those things as we read them. These are declarations about our God. This is who he is. This is how he is. And these are the takeaways that we need to, uh, that we need to stamp into our minds as we read through God's word this morning. So we'll read with me, read along with me as I read here. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Will you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your word this morning and for the glimpses into your character that we see here. God, we're thankful that you are great. We are thankful, O oh God, that you are gracious and merciful, that you're slow to anger and yet abounding in steadfast love and mercy. We're thankful, O God, that you are faithful and kind in all the things that you say and all the things that you do. And God, we're thankful, especially some among us this morning, that you uphold those who are falling. 
And God, we can take that in two ways. You uphold those whose physical strength is failing them. And you uphold those, God, whose emotional or spiritual strength is failing. Both are true. Both are glorious truths about you, O oh God. And we, we, we lean into those things this morning as we gather here and we are either afflicted by various diseases or sicknesses or weaknesses or frailties, God, or we know people who are. We look to verses like this who see that you lift up those who are falling. You're the strength of man. We are not our own strength. Lord, we depend on you and we thank you that we can depend on you. We thank you for psalms like this that show us that you are good and great and near to all who call upon you in truth. And so God, we want to raise our voices in truth. We want to raise our voices helped by the Spirit this morning, O oh God, to plead with you for the mercy and the grace that we need to praise you as we ought to because the psalm tells us that you are a great God you are to be praised greatly but God we we admit that we come in here and we don't feel like great praise we don't feel up to the challenge oh God of giving you the worship and the glory that you're due and so we confess our weakness we confess our distractions we confess oh God our infirmities and the things that war for your attention Lord that that vie for uh, our affections even and so we pray we, we confess those things and we pray that you would remove all distractions that you would remove the idols of our heart God that you would turn our focus away from what we cannot do and place our focus on what you can do and God that we would worship you and praise you in a manner that is fitting to your greatness and your glory free us this morning O God though we're low in number though we're thinking of a thousand different things God though our hearts may have been far away up to this point draw our hearts to you O God and help us to recognize that even though this world is full of problems and afflictions we serve a great God and I pray that we would worship you greatly this morning Lord help us to do that for your glory for our soul's satisfaction we ask these things Lord Jesus amen you know we just sang in, in those first two songs that, that we sang we, we've sung what really is our response to the gospel first is us like we talked about this morning in Sunday school about the idolatry of, of Israel we need to turn away from our idols we need to relinquish the things that we're living for and, and, and worshiping and then turning and running to the Savior, following him. That's, that's our response to the gospel, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And I just wonder this morning if, if you've done that. You know, uh, I think it's easy for us to sing these things and, and be wrapped up in, in this way that we talk and yet these realities not be true in, in our own hearts. So I'd encourage you to think about that this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we do ask, Lord, that you would give us clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, let that not be just words that, that we sing, but Lord, we know that all the time we, we are so motivated by the things that we're really worshiping. And, and there are so many idols that we set up in our own hearts and minds, not physical statues, but things that we're living for other than you. We pray, oh God, that you would deliver us from those things. Help us to see the futility of them and, and lead us away from them and, and help us to truly hasten after Christ, to run after him, to follow him. Help us not to follow the things of this world, but to follow Christ. We pray for your blessing on the remainder of this service and, and on this offering this morning, oh God. We would pray that you would use this uh, to, to help extend the kingdom and, and further the work of, of your kingdom of preaching the gospel. We, we do pray for Barry Corder, who was here with us last week, and, and just pray that you would raise many people to help support him as, and his family as they go to, to Georgia. We pray for our other missionaries this morning that, uh, that you would help provide for their needs just help them to be faithful to preaching the gospel uh, we ask all these things in the name of christ amen take your bibles this morning and turn to matthew chapter 9 so a very strange thing happened this morning uh, of course we were out of town for a big part of this this week and we brought our series to conclusion last week on on jesus words on giving and we're going to start a new series in the upcoming weeks, but uh, in the interval, I thought, well, I'll just preach a sermon, uh, just kind of a standalone sermon on, on a passage, and thought about that this week, and chose Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35, and 
and came in this morning and was kind of putting my notes in the bulletin for Jeffrey to, to print those out. And he was standing there right next to me and he said, I wonder if anybody will even notice that that's the same passage that Brother Barry preached last week. And I said, what? And he said, oh yeah, that's the same text. I, I wondered if maybe you were doing that on, on purpose. And uh, I said, no. And I, I really, that, that is very surprising and, and shocking to me. Uh, so I always feel like when something like that happens, maybe the Lord has something in it for us. Maybe there's, there's a truth here that we really need to grasp or lay hold of. Uh, in, in God's providence, he's allowing us to consider the very same passage this week that, that some of you heard last week. Uh, so Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called his 12 disciples unto them and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. You know, sometimes uh, as organizations uh, have a tendency to, to lose focus on some of the things that are really the most important things in, in the business world, they sometimes refer to this as mission drift. Uh, this is where you begin to drift what's really makes you as a company who you are, and you begin to lose sight of, of what is so important. In the sport, sports world, we see this all the time. Teams will kind of become distracted. Maybe they have a little bit of a success, and, and they begin to forget the, the very things that made them successful, and they begin to drift away from those things. It, th that can happen in church life as well. Uh, we, be, we can begin to drift away from some of the things that are so central and so important to who we are as a church. Our text this morning is, is an encouragement from Christ, uh, and we must have really needed that encouragement because you're hearing it twice in, in a row. Uh, but, but this is an encouragement for us to, to look to the harvest and to remember uh, what it is that Christ has for us to do. There are three things I think we see in this text that motivate us to mission, to, to the harvest, to, to winning the lost. And, and I hope that that does that this morning for us. Perhaps some of you here this morning have never really engaged in this process of making disciples or in reaching the lost. Maybe that's something that, that's always kind of been on the periphery and, and nothing that you've done in your own life personally. For others, perhaps you've been there in the past, but but you've begun to drift away and you've forgotten how important this is. This morning I want us to consider this text and the things that we see here uh, that would encourage us uh, to, to be serious about the mission that we are given as a church. The first thing, the first encouragement I think we see here is the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. You see in verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was preaching and proclaiming uh, the kingdom. As you read through the gospel of Matthew, what you will find, and, and really all of the gospels, is that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Christ or sometimes just the kingdom is, is a major theme in the gospels. It's something that, that is so important. In fact, when John the Baptist comes on the scene in, in Matthew chapter 3 and he's introducing the Messiah, he's introducing uh, Jesus Christ, we're giving, given a summary of his message. And the summary of the message of John the Baptist was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom's here 
And you need to repent in order to enter it and to be prepared for it. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, after Jesus undergoes his temptations and as he begins his ministry, the same message is summarized from that time forward. Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Throughout the Gospels, we have what are called kingdom parables where Jesus will say things like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who goes into a far country. The, the kingdom of heaven is, is, is like a, a wedding ceremony. And, and Jesus explains and describes what the kingdom is. So it's, his, it's the main message of his ministry. He teaches about it. And then there are summary statements like in Matthew 4.23 where it says he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's in Matthew 4.23. And we actually have very similar words here in verse 35, 935. He went proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So are you a follower of Jesus Christ? One of the things that you need to understand is what the kingdom of God is. If you don't understand what the kingdom is, if you don't understand the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ, you really don't have a very good grasp on who Jesus was. And, and I think it's so important for us. And, and what I want us to see is that this really, this concept of a kingdom is really a motivator. It's something that should drive us uh, in our, our mission. The kingdom of God is not just a major theme, though, in the Gospels. The kingdom of God is a major theme throughout all of the Bible. It really starts all the way back at the beginning. When, when God created the world... Uh, he was ruling over it as, as a king. Adam and Eve were created. They were his people and they were subject to him. He was their king. And we remember what happened. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They sinned against God. And, and in that sin, they were kind of throwing off the kingship of God. They, they were saying, we don't want to submit to God. We don't want God to be our king. And you remember what happened. The curse came because as a result of that, uh, death entered the world, sin and destruction, all the evil that we have in this world came as a result of God's people throwing off his rule and his reign. That's what always happens. And then we come to the kingdom of Israel. This is kind of the next phase in it. We have God making promises, as we talked about in Sunday school, in, in the Old Testament. Look, Israel, you'll be my people and I'll be your kingdom. There are all these kingdoms of this world Humanity has rebelled against me, but, but I'm going to come to you and I'm going to be your king and I'll give you my rules and my laws. And if you will follow them, if you will obey them, I'll be your king and you will be blessed. Adam and Eve were created in perfection. They were blessed when God was their king. When they rejected God, the curse came into the world and destruction and sin came. The kingdom of Israel, God's saying here, I'll be your king. When I'm your king, I will bless you and things will go well with you. But what, what do we see with Israel? Throughout the Old Testament, they continue to, to say no to God. They continue to refuse to submit to God as their king. And so because of that, they're destroyed. We just talked about that uh, in, in Sunday school, and I'd encourage you to come to Sunday school. It's a way to get deeper into God's word. But we talked about how Old Testament Israel was driven from the land that God had given them because of their refusal to submit to God as their king. But one of the things that we find in the Old Testament is even as the prophets in the Old Testament were delivering messages of God that were saying judgment is coming because you have rejected your king, because you have failed to submit to God, judgment is coming. Even as they were delivering those messages of judgment and doom and gloom, they were also delivering a message that one day another king is going to come and this king is going to make everything right. God's people will submit to this king. This king will give God's people a new heart. He will give them a willingness to obey him and to submit to him. And when this king comes, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, just as it could have been with Israel, things will go well. You will have God's blessing. So we see things like Isaiah 11. This is just one of the many prophecies. Isaiah is prophesying judgment, but he's also prophesying there's a coming kingdom in the future. Isaiah 11 says this, There shall come forth from a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, 
and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge or rule by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with a rod, with the rod of his mouth. He's going to rule, and this rule is not going to be opposed. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then as a result of this king ruling, it says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. There's not going to be any curse anymore. There's not going to be any killing and death anymore. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. So this was the anticipation of the Old Testament. Israel had rejected God as their king. As a result, they were, they were being destroyed and having the judgment of God. But there's this king coming, and this king is going to rule in power and authority. And when he does, all that sin has caused to go wrong is going to be reversed. And there will be righteousness there will be peace and there will be healing. So when Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist, and then Jesus and says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's saying is the king is here. This one who had been prophesied, the one who's going to rule for God, the one who's going to bring peace, who's going to reverse and bring forgiveness of our sins and reverse all of the, the corruption of sin. This is, this is what uh, God is doing. This is what Christ is doing. He's inaugurating, starting the kingdom of God. And he demonstrates this. You notice in verse 35, what does he do? He's healing the blind. He's casting out demons. And all through the Gospels, what, what those miracles are showing us is, hey, this is a little foretaste of what I'm doing. I'm going to make all things new. Those who are blind are going to be given their sight. Those who are sick are going to be healed. Those who are in bondage are going to be set free. This is the kingdom of God that has been prophesied. And so this is the message that, that Jesus gives to his disciples. He's sending them out. He looks and he sees there, there are many people who are harassed and helpless and he has compassion on them. And he says, go out and preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. That's the good news. It's the good news that the kingdom is here. The king is going to rule and he's going to make all things new. They were commissioned in verses 5 through 7. You see, when he sends out his disciples, what does he send them out to do? He sends them out, he says in, in verse 7, and go proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the message that Jesus preached it's the message that the disciples preached, and it really is our message. Our message is this, that Jesus is the king. And that really provides a motivation for us. We've been given the, the same commission. You see, what we're preaching, what we're trying to take out to the world is not Union Baptist Church. It's not, go, go come and hear our, our preacher. It's, it's not, hey, come, come to our church. Our church is so great. It's none of those things. The message that we are preaching is that Jesus is the king and that if you submit to him, he will give you life. He, he, he will restore uh, the, what, what has been lost to you. He will set you free. This, that's the message of the kingdom. That's the message that we are to proclaim. If you believe this message of salvation through Jesus and a restoration through his kingdom, then you must be motivated to spread it. Otherwise, it, it would be absurdity. Do you really believe that Jesus is the king? Do you really believe that the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God is coming through Jesus Christ? That he has a message of hope for this world and, and yet we're, we're unwilling to go and to spread this message? You know, the reality is, here, here's the problem. The reality is that people don't automatically enter the kingdom of heaven. This is such a wonderful reality. The kingdom of heaven is coming. It's here. There's forgiveness of sin. There, there's a freedom. There's a, there, there's a restoration that's coming to this world. That's great news. But the problem is not everybody is going to enter into that kingdom. Matthew 13, 41 says this, The Son of Man will send his angels 
This is talking about the final judgment. Will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the kingdom of God is coming. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a restoration. There's going to be peace and harmony and eternal life. There's going to be all of these wonderful things. And yet everyone is not going to enter those things. Those who remain in their sins, those who refuse to turn to Christ and submit to him as their king are, are going to be cast out of this kingdom. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There are going to be many who will be cast out of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, it says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, 5 says that those who are sexually immoral or impure or who are covetous, those people have no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. You see, people have to be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They have, to, they have to be willing to turn from their sins and turn to Jesus Christ, just like we sing about, to relinquish their idols, to give up worshiping and serving and living for all of these things and turn to Christ. They have to be willing to do that. And in order to do that, they must be born again. Jesus says, unless a person is born again, they will not enter or cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You must, as Jesus said, you must repent to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You must turn from your sins the people that you live with your, your family members your co-workers the people in your community the people that you sit next to at the ball field the, the people that you work with day in and day out many of them do not understand this reality that the kingdom of heaven has come that, that Jesus is the king and that they must return from their sins and they must believe in him and, and submit to him as their king. They, they don't understand that. They, they don't know that reality. You have the gospel message. You have this truth. And so we, like the disciples, must be, be willing to go out and proclaim this message. We must be willing to tell people, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's just so, it's so unbelievable to me that we as, as Christians could know this message and that we could hold it to to ourselves the very realities of what we're talking about the kingdom of Christ ought to be a motivator to us that we should be willing to preach the gospel and tell others about this the second encouragement I think we find in this text not only the kingdom of Christ but secondly the compassion of his of Christ we see his concern really should be our concern as well do you see this in verse 35 he went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see the compassion of Christ. He's going from town to town. He's healing the sick. He's, he's granting forgiveness of sins. But, but he's seeing multitudes of people hundreds and thousands of people that he's coming into context. And, and when he looks at them, what, what he sees is people who are, who are spiritually lost. We know what it means to be lost, right? It, it means that we don't know where we're going, right? Uh, when, when we're driving around, sometimes we, we get lost. We went to Chicago and, and we got really lost a couple times uh, and we get turned around. But, but people in the world that, that we're, we come into contact with every day, they are lost. It's not that they know the truth and they're just rejecting it. A lot of times the reality is that they don't even understand the truth. They haven't heard the truth. They're, they're completely lost. Jesus says here that they are harassed and helpless. To be harassed means to be bullied or, or oppressed. And I believe that this is a reference to the power of sin. You, you see, the, the, the reality is that sin promises us life and it promises all of these things but but when you give in to sin when, when you give yourself over to sin what you find is that you become the slave of sin and when Jesus looked around him that's what he was seeing he was seeing the ravages of sin all around him he was seeing people who were harassed people who were dealing with the consequences of their sin and and the slavery of their sin but then it, they were not only harassed but they're helpless 
These are people who are unable to save themselves. They can't save themselves because really they, they love their sin. It's like someone who, who smokes, right? Maybe, you, hopefully you don't smoke, but uh, if you do, you know, all the, all the truths that we know about, all, all the facts that we know about smoking, it kills you, it causes lung cancer, there are all kinds of negative health effects that come with, with smoking, and there are many people who know those realities and, and, and almost want to quit smoking, but, but they're addicted to it. It's such a strong pull to them, and, and that's the reality of the way that sin works with, with so many of us. So there's a sense in which we understand this is wrong. This, this sin that I'm doing is, is actually bringing about my destruction. It's actually harming me. And, and, and yet we're addicted to it. We, we, we continue to want it. We, we continue to want to go in that direction. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's looking out over these crowds of people. He's seeing people who, who are harassed. They're, they're being harassed and oppressed by their sin, and yet they're helpless to do anything about it. They, they can't save themselves. They're, 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 they're enslaved to their own sin, the things that are bringing about their own destruction. It says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And if you know anything about sheep, you know that, that sheep are, are helpless. Sheep are not able to care for themselves. They don't know where to go to get food. And when they wander off on themselves, they get themselves into all kinds of dangerous situations. And that's what Jesus is saying. These people look like they look like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and yet they can't do anything to save themselves. They're they're helpless. They need they need a rescue effort. They need a shepherd who will enter into that and draw them back into the right path, who will lead them to to places where they can be fed and, and get the things that will, will, will lead to their, their life. This is what broke Jesus' heart. Jesus saw that humanity was afflicted by the results of their sin, yet utterly helpless to be delivered from the power of that sin, uh, that that sin had over them. This is why he came, it says in the Gospels, he came to save his people from their sins. He came to deliver them from the power that sin had over them and to deliver them from the penalty that sin had inflicted upon them. I think this is a motivation for us because I think we should see Christ's compassion for people around them. And I think we as a church should have compassion for the lost. You know, one of the things that really bothers me with so many Christians that I talk to, I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and we can become so hardened to, to lost people around us. We can forget that we're called to love even our enemies. And we can become very cold and say, that's what they get. They, they get what they deserve. That's, there's a truth to that, right? Sin brings its own consequences. There's, there's a reality to that. And yet that's not the way that Jesus responded so often. Jesus responded with compassion. He responded with brokenness. When he looked at lost people, he didn't say, boy, Israel has really gone to hell in a handbasket, hasn't it? Man, this place is just messed up. These people are horrible, wicked people. No, no, Jesus looked out over the crowds. And when he did, he looked out on them with compassion. He said, these people are lost. These people, they're doing things that are bringing their own destruction. And yet they're failing to even see that. And they're helpless to really deliver themselves from this sin. That's the same kind of mindset that we need to have as a church. We don't look out at the world and say, boy, look how wicked it is. Look how vile it is. Look how disgusting people are. Man, look at, look at how horrible everyone out there is. No, no. When we look out at them, we ought to have the eyes of Christ. We ought to have compassion on them. We ought to have uh, an understanding that these people are in sin and they're blinded to the, the effects of this sin. They're blinded to even the sinfulness of their sin. And their only hope is that God would rescue them, that God would reach down and save them. Just like our only hope was that God would reach down and rescue us, that he would be our shepherd and that he would lead us out of sin. That's the only reason you and I are here is that God had grace and showed grace to us. And that's their only hope as well. We need to have that same kind of compassion. When you look around us, we ought to see the ravages of sin and the calamity that sin is bringing and it ought to lead us to mourn. We see the, the ravages of, of thing, things like divorce. People are deeply wounded and hurt by the, the practice of divorce, and yet they continue to, to do it. 
They continue to practice it. Children are hurt emotionally and psychologically. Women are hurt by divorce as they're left behind. Men are, are much more deeply hurt than they, than they want to let on. You see in our culture all the time men who are sort of going off the deep end as they lose their family. What I found is that the men who act the toughest are really the men who are struggling the most. There's damage and fallout from many things uh, from, from, from the way that we see sexuality distorted. The world around us is telling us, hey, you know, this, this uh, movement that, that everything's good, the, the, the sexual uh, liberation, just you can do anything and, and it's all wonderful and, and it promises freedom, it promises enjoyment, but in the end it's really enslaving. And when you look around at our culture, we're seeing the damage of that young girl's who are suffering the psychological damage of things like eating disorders. And yet we continue to treat women as purely sexual objects that must meet society's standards from a purely physical standpoint. We see young boys who suffer the effects of a pornographic society. They, they can't break free from this addiction and it dominates them. It transforms the way they, they view women. They're, they're unable as a result of this to to experience the sweetness and the goodness of marital love and instead view women as objects, things to be had rather than humans designed in the image of God worthy of love and, and respect. We see the damage and the ravages of things like greed and our selfishness and, and covetousness. Look around us in, in America, we are, we are over our eyeballs in debt as a nation and as individuals. And, and debt, I, I believe, is going to be the downfall of our nation. And yet we personally and nationally continue to spend more money, money that we don't have on things that we don't need. We see the ravages of sin beyond all these temporary consequences. The Bible teaches that it is our continued sinful action that will bring the eternal judgment of God. The wages of sin is death. There's calamity now. There's problems and there, there are difficulties that come into life, uh, in, in, even in this life, because of our sin. But then there's eternal judgment after this. Our actions are bringing our own destruction, both now and eternally, and yet people cannot help themselves. And Jesus looks on that and he has not anger, but he has compassion. That's what we ought to have for the world around us. That compassion is only compounded because he says that there are crowds. He looked out on the crowds of people. There are, there are 7 billion people in our world. Many of them are, are enslaved in the ways that we've just talked about. Uh, many of them do not know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Many of them do not know the way of salvation. Many of them do not know what it is that will truly bring them peace in this life and that will give them eternal life. They don't know it. And there are crowds, there are multitudes and multitudes of people. Church, we need to have compassion on the world. And we need to be motivated then to go out and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So there's the kingdom of Christ, the compassion of Christ. Thirdly, this morning, the, the call of Christ, the call of Christ. Look at verse 37. As Jesus looks out and he sees these people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then verse seven, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest the call of Christ, first of all, is to consider the harvest. You see, there's a promise in that, don't you? As, as he says, look, look out on these people, and he uses the analogy of a, of a harvest. We, we all understand that. We're, we're driving around. There are all kinds of fields right now that are being harvested. They're ready to be harvested. There is fruit there. there. There are things that have grown that are ready to be gathered in and to be harvested in. And when Jesus looks out, Jesus has compassion on the world. Jesus sees people in this helpless and harassed state, but he doesn't just throw up his hands like so many Christians do in our day and say, well, I guess, I guess the Lord just isn't working anymore. People are so lost. They're so wicked. They're so blinded by their sin. I guess there's just no hope. We might as well. It's just us four and no more. I guess God's done working. No, when, when he looks out on them, he says, look out there. There's a harvest. These people are lost, yes. We need to have compassion on them, but we also need to understand that they are not beyond God's ability to save. 
He, he doesn't say they're so lost, there's no hope that they could be saved. No, he looks out and he says that there are many, there's a great harvest to be reaped in. There are many who will come. There is a harvest, and the harvest is not a small harvest. The harvest is a plentiful harvest. Sometimes I think we as Christians in America, we, we feel like you know we had our heyday here in America and, 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 and things were so good and now we've drifted away from the Lord and now really there's no hope and, and we might as well just give up and, and we might as well quit evangelizing. We might as well just come to terms with the fact that churches are going to get smaller and smaller and fewer and fewer people are going to come to Christ. But, but when Jesus looks at this desperate situation that he's in, he sees that there's a plentiful harvest. There's a harvest here in, in Hancock County. You know, that there's a, there's a harvest where you're working. You say, these, these people don't want to hear anything about the gospel. They don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. And, and a lot of them go to church, but they, they still don't want to hear anything about Jesus Christ. They, they don't even understand the gospel. So I might as well not work. No, no, no. When you see that, you need to recognize there's a harvest there. He's promised there's a, there's a plentiful harvest. There's the promise of, of the harvest, but there's also the problem of the harvest. And, and the problem is, no, is not that there isn't a harvest. There is a harvest. There are people who need to hear the gospel. There are people who, by God's grace, will believe and will be saved. But the problem, do you see the problem? The problem is that there are few laborers. He had compassion on them. They were help, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few you see that's the problem with the harvest what what's wrong with our county what's wrong with our community what's wrong with the place that you work or or your family members the the problem is not that there there are not people who will not be saved that's not the problem you say there's just nobody in my family that wants to hear it there's nobody in my workplace that even wants to talk about these things. There's nobody in this community, man. They, they don't even want to hear these, this message. No, no. The, the problem is that there's a harvest out there. God has people that he's ready to save. God, God has his, his chosen people. And, and yet, the labors are few. So many of us are silent. So many of us are unwilling to go. So many of us are unwilling to speak. So many of us are willing, unwilling to share the gospel, to proclaim Jesus is king. And, and we say things like, you know, these people don't believe that Jesus is king. They don't want to hear that Jesus is king. So what should we do? We should proclaim Jesus is king. Repent. And guess what? God promises that when we do that, there is a harvest that will be had. And, and you would be surprised. The truth is, I think the reason there are, there are so few uh, laborers in, in the harvest is, first of all, I think we're, we've just been deceived. You know, there, there are many people who have deceived, been deceived even about their, their own spiritual condition. You know, one of the clearest indicators that a person truly has been born of God, that the spirit of Christ dwells in them, is that they have compassion on other people. You see, if, if the spirit of Christ dwells in us and, and Christ had eyes that saw the lostness of the world and had compassion on them, if that same spirit resides in us, what are we going to do? We're going to look at the world and we're going to see the world and we're going to have compassion on those who are harassed and helpless. But I think far too many professing Christians are not Christians at all. And one of the clearest evidences about that is that they couldn't give a rip about the lostness of the community around them. They don't care about the lostness of the people around them. They, they, they really don't even think much about it. But if the Spirit of Christ is in us, then, then that would not be the case. For others, I think there, there are a few labors because we're selfish. One of our primary concerns is, is for ourselves. We don't want to be bothered with talking about Jesus to, to other people. We don't want to be embarrassed if I, if I talk about this, it's going to be embarrassing. They don't want to hear that. They're not going to like me. They're not going to want to be around me. I, I don't want to deal with all of that. And what, is, what is driving all of those kind of excuses? Well, the primary motivation is me. I'm concerned about my own comfort. I'm concerned about my own reputation, what people think about me. You see the selfishness of that kind of desire. These people are lost. They're enslaved to their sin. They're blind to even the realities of that. And yet I'm concerned about if I tell them about Christ being the king, what will they think about me? 
I don't care what they think about me. I shouldn't care what they think about me. When they're lost, they're dying, they're going to hell. They're, they're outside of God's grace, outside of God's kingdom. Why would I be worried about myself in that situation? Thirdly, we're, we're distracted. We live in a, a materialistic, entertainment-driven culture. And we don't have time to think about the eternal destinies of others. That's one of the things that we've talked about even with our series on giving, how, how the things of this world, they, they attract our attention. They, they rob us of giving attention to things that are much more important. Fourthly, I think we're faithless, and that's why there's so few labors. We, we doubt the certainty of God's revealed truth. Do you really believe that Jesus is the King? Do you really believe that salvation is found only in him and that apart from him, people will be cast out of the kingdom of God and will spend an eternity separated from God in eternal punishment? Do you believe that? If you do, if you have faith that that is true, how can we not be more minded to think about uh, the, the, the reality of the lostness of people around us? Certainly part of our lack of zeal must be rooted in our lack of faith. And then I think sometimes... Part of the problem is that we're confused. There, there are so many around us who have some kind of religion. They go to some kind of church. But the reality is from, from the numbers of people that I talk to is that so many of them really don't understand the gospel. They grew up in church. Maybe their daddy was a deacon. Maybe they're a deacon in church. And yet they don't really know the gospel. They've never really submitted their life to Jesus Christ as king. Right? You, you can live in Hancock County. You can be a member of a Southern Baptist church and not know anything about the gospel not be trusting in Christ to save you. You can do all of those things and, and still be refusing to submit to your, your life to Jesus Christ as king. You see, that, that's what you have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to repent. You have to turn from your sin. And, and the people I see around, I, I see a large multitude of people who have never repented. They, they've never bowed their knee to Jesus Christ. They're doing exactly what they want to do. They're living in their sin and they're refusing to turn and to, to put their faith in Christ and to turn from their sin. And so we need not be confused. That we, we look at the crowds. We, we need to understand that many of them are lost. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Well, what does Jesus call us to do? Not only does he call us to consider the harvest, but then he calls us to pray. You see, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is where we need to be. After we, we see the reality of this lostness and, and hopefully we're driven by that to have compassion on them, we ought to pray that the Lord would raise people up to go and preach the gospel. We, we need to pray because we, the reality is we can't even save ourselves. We were like, we were those sheep who were harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd, and then God came to us. And the reality is we can't save ourselves and we can't save others. It must be a work of God. And so we must pray to him. And we should pray for laborers. We should pray that God will raise up many in our congregation who have this missionary impulse. I'm so thankful Jim and Donna aren't here. I was going to ask them if I could use this as, a, as an illustration, but I've been so encouraged uh, by them. I've just seen so much growth in their understanding of the gospel. And, and one of the things that I've seen in them is their compassion for their family, especially Jim's, uh, Jim's brothers and brother and sister. Uh, and he's just not sure where they are with the Lord and, and, uh, I've been talking to them a little bit, and, and they've clearly been talking a lot to, to their family members, telling them about the gospel. And uh, Jim uh, grew up in, in a Catholic church and didn't clearly understand the gospel, and his brother was the same thing. And so he's been sharing the gospel. And, and if you know Jim, you know how quiet Jim is. You know how, how opposite that is to the way that, that Jim typically is, and, and yet he's been willing to to talk about those things with, with his brother and recently had Jared come and share the gospel with them and, and it seems that he was receptive to, to that message, continue to pray for, for his brother. He's got some physical problems going on as well, but, but also the Lord seems to be working in his heart. And what, what a great thing that, that, that we as the people of God would have that kind of compassion. What an example that is for us. 
you know, and all that is 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 Jim in in a feeble way and in the limited way that he's able to do that, just telling what he knows about the gospel. I think Jim would be the first one to, to admit he's not eloquent. He would never want to get up here and, and preach. And, and yet he knows the gospel and he's able to share that with his, with his loved ones. And I think that's what, what we ought to do. We ought to pray that the Lord would raise many people up like that, that. That many of us in this congregation would be those kind of people who are bold enough. We're not eloquent. We're not polished. We're not some great evangelist. But we're bold enough to take the, the, the gospel that we know and tell the people that we know about the Christ who will save them and the kingdom that is coming. We ought to pray that God would raise up laborers not only is there a call to consider the harvest, a call to, to pray to the Lord, but then also a, a call to go. And that's what we see in verse 5. It's interesting. Jesus tells them, hey, pray that the Lord would send labors into the harvest. And then in verse 5, what does he do of chapter 10? These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. He sends them out. He says, hey, you're part of the answer to that prayer. So we need to be praying that God would raise up people in our congregation who, who would be laborers in the harvest, but then we need to recognize that's you. God's called you to this. You, you've been called to go and take the gospel message to those who are around you. We need to be encouraged in this. Let me ask you as we conclude this morning, do you, do you see the brokenness of the world around you? If you don't, begin to open your eyes. We, we need to open our eyes. Do you know the message of the gospel? I hope you do. If you're here this morning, I hope you know the message of the gospel. If, if you say, I'm, not, I'm unsure of it, I, I don't know that I know it well enough to be able to explain it to other people, well, train yourselves. Study, read God's word, come to Sunday school, come to Wednesday night, prepare yourself so that you can explain the gospel to others. Will you pray that God would raise up laborers? We have a prayer meeting in, in your personal prayer, would you, would you commit to begin to pray that God would, would raise up people in this congregation who would be bold in proclaiming the, the gospel? And will you go? Will you go? You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to the country of Georgia like Barry Corder is doing, but, but maybe that's what God would call you to do. But, but will you go to your community? Will you go to your relatives? Will you go to uh, the, the people in, in your own community, in your workplace? That's where God has placed you. Will you go? Going doesn't mean you've got to go some far distance. It just means take this gospel message and take it into those areas. Will you go this morning? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we do pray that you would raise up many in this church who would be bold in proclaiming the message of the kingdom. God, we thank you that you've sent your Son to bring restoration and salvation in this world. We, we thank you that, that you've reached down and saved us, that you've drawn us out of, out of our sin, that you shepherded us and that you led us to the things that actually bring us life and away from the things that, that bring death. God, we pray that you do a work in this congregation. We pray that for, for many years ahead, we would be a very strong witness in this community of the gospel of the kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.